You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris White. If you have any questions for me, you can go to my website, nowheretorunradio.com. Um, probably going to revamp that website really soon, make it a whole lot more uh, easy to use and easy to find the things that you may be interested in. There's a lot of content on that site that I need to sort of make usable. I've tried to do that, and I think I accomplished that with all the other sites that relate to Bible teaching or Bible prophecy. I squished them all into one site and tried to make it really usable. If you're interested in seeing that, you can go to BibleProphecyTalk.com. I know in the last podcast I said um, it was going to be prophecyinthebible.com, but I scrapped that domain altogether in the interest of being easy, and so I just put it all at BibleProphecyTalk.com. So you can also go there if you need to contact me. Show note-wise, just a few things. Uh, One of the big issues here is the Brandon House uh, issue after he took down one of the videos uh, that, I, that I put up about uh, Bible prophecy. I put out a video. If you listen to the podcast, you've heard it and all that stuff. Um, trying to move past that, I've almost completely decided that I'm just going to try to let this die as much as possible and try to do the right thing. I'm trying to uh, engage him with ideas for compromise and stuff like that. So uh, last night we went back and forth over trying to figure out a way to... Uh, to compromise on this. I'm not sure how well that's going to go, but that is the hope that uh, we can kind of come to some uh, Christian compromise on this. So that's my hope in the matter. My main thing that I would like from this is just not to have the copyright strike on the YouTube account. I've got a video that uh, should be out pretty soon about the gospel. I'm going to call it the gospel class where it's about an hour long and I'd really like to upload it in one piece to YouTube but because of the copyright strike, I'm no longer able to upload uh, videos over, uh, you know, over uh, 15 minutes or whatnot. So, so I may need help from you because even my backup channel uh, is no longer able to do that. So, anyways, long story short, I probably will have to come up with a new a new backup channel here pretty soon. In fact, if anybody wants to help me with that, I would uh, gladly, uh, you know, we could work out some kind of arrangement or whatever. Uh, monetarily wise or whatever to set up a, a backup account and to upload all the videos that I have that are 15 minutes uh, or under to that account and then eventually YouTube would allow that account to upload videos longer than that. Anyway, if if you can help with that, I'd like to hear from you. And um, that reminds me also the forum issue. I got a few uh, emails from people about forums and ideas for that. And I'll just mention a few of them here right now. I haven't had time to really make a decision about uh, what to do about that, but I will direct you to some that you may be interested in, three of them in particular. Um, World of Prophecy Forum, that's Johnny from Iron Show. If you type in World of Prophecy Forum, you should you should get to it, I think. Uh, if not, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Also, forum-wise, Canary Cry uh, over there at Canary Cry Radio on the Revelations Radio Network, they also have a forum. And Facebook-wise, the PID Radio Cafe has sort of been a place that uh, that is a kind of hub for like-minded people as well on Facebook. So PID Radio Cafe, of course, referring to PID Radio with uh, Derek and Sharon Gilbert. Okay, so uh, I guess that's show notes for now. Let's move on into the new format. Every Friday, I'm going to try to answer at least three questions Uh, from your emails and Facebook messages. So let's get started. Question number one is one that I think that we all can relate to uh, if we've kind of come from a New World Order background. Uh, This is from Walker. He says the following in an email six days ago. He says, I want to start by saying that your testimony in the film, Age of Deceit, Fallen Angels in the New World Order, was one of the main things that made me decide to follow Jesus. I, like you, was originally both an Ancient Aliens fan and an avid David Icke follower. 
Now that I have discovered Jesus I am starting to, and I'm starting to read the Bible, I want to know your opinion on something. Being a pastor who has knowledge of the New World Order in Paul's, in Paul's epistles, he talks about su- submitting to governments because they have been instituted by God. How do I put this into context with everything else I've come to believe concerning the New World Order? And how should I, as a Christian, respond to the world government system? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we should love our enemies, pray for them, and that if someone strikes us on one cheek, we should turn the other, etc. So how should... So how should we respond? One way I'm certain is that we should spread the gospel to as many people as possible. That that we should do regardless of circumstance. But what other things can we do? I don't feel like I should just give up talking about the New World Order, especially because it is the thing that brought me to faith in the first place. I'm confused, I need guidance, and your opinion is one I've grown to respect. Any advice you could offer me would be appreciated. Okay, thanks a lot for writing, Walker. This is a really great question, and you sound very mature uh, about this. I want to to say that you you seem as though you are very far along for being a new Christian, and this is a really mature way to phrase this. So let's jump right in. So yeah, the you mentioned Romans 13, that, the idea that governments are instituted by God, and then you said, how do I put this into context with everything else I've come to believe concerning the new world order? Well, first of all, the idea that governments are instituted by God, whether they be bad or good, is uh, we, 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 there's no need to question that, and it doesn't contradict um, the, the, the not obeying those governments when they go crazy. So, for example, let's look at uh, the Old Testament with the northern kings of Israel, or the southern kings of Israel at times. Um, God appoints kings that are obviously bad kings. Well, let's look at Saul. The first king of Israel was anointed by God. We have that on great authority. I mean, he was not only anointed by Samuel as instructed by God, but that was one of the main reasons that David, though he had ample opportunity and reason from our earthly perspective to kill Saul, to just do away with him. He himself had been anointed at that time, but his time had not yet come. God had not said, okay, you can do it now. But his, his reasoning was that Saul's anointed by God. You know, Saul is the guy, and I'm not the guy yet. So Saul was not a good guy, especially towards the end. And he is what, but here's the point. Saul is what the people wanted. God gave the people what they wanted. Saul was a handsome guy. He was what the people of Israel, they wanted like a king, like the other nations had a king. You know, that's what their plea was. And Saul was, as David Guzik says, you know, could have been on the cover of King magazine. He was a foot taller than everybody else and good looking. And that's what they wanted, a king like that. And God said, okay, here you go. He's not that great, but he's yours. And I think that a lot of times the governments that are appointed by God aren't that great, but it's what we wanted. And sometimes we got to take that into account. Now, does that mean that uh, they should obey that those governments at all times of course not and most people that would discuss this particular issue would point to plenty of places in the new testament where um you know a good example let's just say is acts uh when let's try to find the exact acts uh is it four yeah acts four eighteen and 19 let's start from basically they are being told uh, not to preach the gospel by the governing authorities. Acts 4.18, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and says, and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they disobey these guys. They get beaten by them as a, as a result of their disobeying of the government. And then they go home rejoicing that they were considered worthy to be beaten uh, for the name of Christ. So, so here we have an example in the Bible of some guys, some apostle guys, uh, disobeying the government because what the government asked of them was uh, not uh, consistent with what God had said. Now, we can also look into the very context that, that Paul was writing with Romans 13. And I want to discuss what he said a little bit in, in detail here, too. But first, think think what Paul was writing. Now, Paul got killed by the government. He was beheaded probably under the uh, um, direction of Nero or some you know subordinates of Nero, definitely during the uh, time of Nero. And we never hear Paul... In, 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 Paul was in Rome, or writing to the Romans, rather, when, when he wrote this letter, 
and he's writing to a bunch of people who are in the government of Nero, and he's telling them to pay their taxes, which I would submit, by the way, Romans 13 seems to have that as a main point. Well, it's got two main points. The first is that you guys should be good. You guys shouldn't be like starting government rebellions and stuff like that. Um, and and if they kill you, and when they kill you, and I think Peter really brings this out when Peter sort of says this, essentially the same thing in First Peter 2, 13 and following. He's like, look, have them, they're going to, to blame you guys for everything anyway. But don't actually be the guys that are not paying taxes, you know, because your king is not of this world. And so, you know, you guys can 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 do all this stuff and you guys are the ones, you know, trying to overthrow the government. Don't be the guys that are trying to overthrow the government uh, because they're going to blame you anyway. Here's a good example. In that day, the 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 you know the whole fire in rome thing was blamed on the christians by nero and not a lot of people even believe that i don't think but nero blamed the christians and the christians were severely persecuted by nero as a result um what i'm trying to say here guys is that the bible says we're going to get blamed and ha- for it uh we're going to get hated by everybody and before this is all over the world you think is your friend right now is going to turn on us and it's really going to turn hard when it turns. And it's going to have to seem like a really good, politically correct, awesome thing to do. And when they turn, they're going to kill and they're going to hate. And our only option is to run. Uh, and I'll talk about that. Uh, let me talk about it right now. I think that what we're directed to do in those events is to run. Uh, Jesus in, the, in uh, Matthew 24 says, When you see the abomination of desolation happen, flee. Now, this is what he goes on to say. It's going to be a time of persecution worse than any time before it or since. This, this, that phrase he takes from Daniel and uh, is also spoken of in other places. The idea is that a persecution is going to happen that's going to be unlike any other persecution. So we're looking at the big, biggest persecution of all time. And Jesus doesn't say, just go ahead and take your licks, guys. He says, run, 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 run. You know, when the government passes a law to kill Christians, our goal is not to, our goal is to run. Now, when they come and get you, which apparently they inevitably will, it's going to be a really well-organized persecution, and they're going to eventually get, you know, they're, I think part of what the New World Order is doing is setting up a system that's going to make it very difficult to run. But when they finally get you and there's a SWAT team around the house and it's inevitable don't go out in a blaze of glory uh even though you know what i'm saying that's that's not what i think you know at that point when you're caught when and if you get caught then go to the camps and and preach on the way and preach to the people that are there and try to be a light in the world that's kind of the way i i look at that but in the meantime run and don't uh, look back, as Jesus says. Don't even stop to get your coat. Just go when this thing happens. But anyway, um, back to the sort of idea of the, the main idea here. Let's, let's actually look a little bit at Romans 13. Because this, I think, is the main point. Well, I think possibly one of the main points is Romans thirteen six through 7, where he says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It's highly likely, based on the way that Paul says this and where he puts this in Romans 13, that he's basically answering a, a question uh, of the Romans that it's basically like this. Paul, should we pay taxes? These guys are a bunch of pagans and they, they're doing all this stuff. We don't need to pay taxes to a bunch of pagans, do we? Um, and Paul's saying, yeah, you do. And and one of the reasons that you do is not just because, uh, you know, Jesus was asked the same question, you know, do we pay, pay taxes? And that was a difficult question. It was supposed to trip Jesus up because... Because the Jews were highly antagonistic of the Romans, and for reasons that you would think that they would be, they are complete pagans, and they had totally taken over uh, Jerusalem, and you know, doing all this stuff, and and they were like, do we? And that was a big issue at the time. Do we really need to pay taxes to these guys? I mean, if we don't, you know, they're gonna they're gonna come down on us hard. They might even, you know, come and you know do a lot of bad stuff and come and destroy the city or whatnot if we don't pay taxes. So do we pay taxes? And Jesus' excellent answer was, you know, who's 
whose face is on the coin. They said Caesar's, and he tells them, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. So that's a really great answer, and it shut their mouths pretty good. And I think that the whole issue is 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 summed up kind of in what he says in verses 3 and 4, which Peter, I think, with the same issue as we'll talk about later, really makes this the whole point of Romans 13. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid, of, unafraid of an authority? Do what is good, if you have, and you have praise from the same, for he is God's minister for you to good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Here is the basic purpose for government according to Romans 13 to take those that are doing evil your your murderers and rapists that are running around in your neighborhood and to bring the cop cars and take those guys away put them in jail or execute them or whatever needs to happen under the law okay so that's government's job is to take evil doers and deal with them and we're glad that they do that that's what Paul's saying. If you if you don't want to be afraid of government, then do what's right. Now, we all know that government is beginning to do crazy things and things that are not right. And where do we stand on those issues? And, you know, here's the issue I have a lot with a lot of this talk and, and everything that people have about this. So far in our life in America, and you could challenge me on this, and I'm sure I will get challenged on it, but there hasn't been anything in my life that I've been asked to do by the government that like is against God yet. Now I'm fully aware that it will happen and that I can see the wheels turning and we can talk about the things that are eventually going to happen. But personally, I have not yet been asked to do anything that is against God. Now we all have those places where we draw the line. And I think that's a valid point for, you know, and I, and I don't have kids and therefore I haven't been asked to do a lot of the things that I might have those kinds of objections if I had kids and stuff like that. And there are those things out there and you need to take a stand when you feel right. Let's get that out of the way. But so far, those things are somewhat minor. Things like, you know, vaccines, which I would submit is not necessarily a law yet, but they make you think it's a law and all this stuff. But we can actually avoid that and not really cause that much trouble. And we don't have to, to go against the main problem here, which is like, like, Again, the idea is, here's the main idea. Let, well, let me read First Peter a little bit so we can kind of be sure this is the main idea. First Peter 2, 13-21. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it is to a king as supreme, <clears throat> or governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise, uh, for the praise of those who do good. Now, here we have almost identical language here from Peter. He's saying... You know, it's because of evildoers, and that's what the whole point of the government is. Uh, they are appointed, you know, and all this stuff. For it is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For it, this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's an important idea. As free, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not to, not only to the good but, and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take, you take it patiently? So what he's saying is, what credit is it, is it if you went out and stole some stuff and beat somebody and, and did some wrongdoing, didn't pay your taxes if you get beaten for it. Here's a Christian getting beaten because he doesn't pay his taxes. I mean, that's almost a reproach on the name, name of God. You know, here's a Christian being beaten because they don't pay their taxes. Those Christians, they don't pay taxes. Oh, brother, what about those Christians? But, continuing in verse 20, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, patiently this is commendable before God. When those R Roman Christians who were all getting strung up by Nero... Um, because Nero blamed them for the fire, and everybody knew in, in the whole in ho the whole of Rome that the Christians had nothing to do with it. But the reason Nero did it is because he knew that you know they were a new religion that basically he knew he could blame them and and kind of get away with it because people were already suspicious of him and stuff like that. But even on this point, most. Romans knew that look Nero did this and he and he built his palace right on the stuff that he built and he burned um anyway regardless of exactly what happened with the Roman fire a lot of people knew that the Christians that were getting killed for that didn't do it 
Now, those Christians that got caught by the government and killed by Nero uh, because of that false accusation, they became somewhat martyrs. Like, man, they're killing these Christians for this. Now, I'm sure that it wasn't like, again, in the same situation there. If you see that happening in Rome and you're like, all of a sudden you start, start seeing a, uh, a Nero or a government thing on TV or something that says, you know, Christians need to be killed. If you see any, round them up. Then I'd be like, hey, guys, why don't you get your go sacks together? Because we're hitting the interstate tonight and getting out of Dodge. That's what we do. Uh, that's what, again, I think that the main point is here in terms of what we should do about when those laws get passed is we should run. It never says just go ahead and, and, and die uh, in the sense of, uh, but I do think it does say that in the context of you are going to be gathered up and brought before people and all this stuff. It never says you need to go to them and allow yourself that, that to happen. It only says that that is going to happen, that we are going to, I think it's a Matthew 10 where it's sort of, a, as I think I have described it before, Jesus's lesson on how to die and I think, and he's, he's whole, the whole point is like, they are going to eventually turn on you. And when they do, don't, this is how you do it. But he never says, hey, when the order comes out from Antichrist to, to go get killed, go ahead and just stand at his door and wait patiently for him to do it. So anyway, let me get back to your actual question here, uh, because I think it's a little bit different than just answering the question. What about Romans 13? So So let's get back to it. So you say, how do I put this into context with everything that I'm learning or I have learned about the New World Order and how should a Christian respond to the world government system? I talk about both of those things because I think they're two different issues. The stuff that you learned about the New World Order, most of which probably is still true, but they're depending on the kind of stuff you believe, you know, coming from a David Icke place, there are probably some things that are not true and you need to kind of kind of do away with the, the stuff that doesn't need to be there You'll still be basically the same place you were in terms of your belief in the New World Order after you get rid of that stuff. But there is some stuff that, generally speaking, needs to be jettisoned about our worldview about it. But, as I said, it's basically the same stuff. And both of those things are dealt with in the video that I did called uh, When I Tell People About the New World Order They Think I'm Crazy. It's on YouTube where I talk about uh, this issue. And I also talk about the issue of how should a Christian respond to the world government to a degree. Um, and my answer to that there was um, basically I think that we should be a little we you know we shouldn't be super intense about this we need to make sure that we're not ruining our relationships to to evangelize the new world order uh, and that it's not and I think that's where I was early on is that I just wanted to talk about new world the new world order I wanted it was my way or the highway you have to listen to this this is really important I was just really intense and just dri driving everybody away because at certain points they just can't hear that you know they can't and I talk about that much more clearly in that video, and I would encourage anybody that on this point to to check that out. But to really get to this, I would say this: there is no right answer to this. Uh, that is to say, to what degree do we need to talk about the New World Order? And I think the reason there's no right answer to it is because God may have um, put on your heart to make it more prominent in your. Uh, in the way that it eventually will work out in your life. And that could be for a lot of reasons. There are certain people, for example, that have um, uh, had this really prominent on their hearts to talk about, and that has resulted in people like yourself being saved. So there are ministries out there that really have a heavy, heavy focus on the New World Order that may, in fact, <clears throat> be a ordained thing of God and, and has put that on their heart to make that a primary focus of what they're talking about. So so I don't want to discourage that, even though I would say that a whole lot of people that have a super focus on the New World Order that are also Christians or claiming to be Christians, whatever the case may be in their particular case, uh, sometimes really don't even talk about Christianity or, or Jesus. It's just sort of implied, you know, in, in a sense. But I, I often question a lot of their their ideas because I know the the seductiveness of the conspiracy thing and... I think a lot of times it's just people that are good researchers that have essentially come to the intellectual conclusion that these people are Satanists and that Jesus is real and just intellectually believe that Christianity is true, but there's no like bowing a knee to Jesus Christ and a, and a repentance or anything approaching what is required in, in a sense for salvation. That is grace through faith 
in Jesus Christ. I don't know if that has happened to a lot of people that have that are preaching, you know, the New World Order uh, from a Christian perspective. Uh, but the point is, I think a lot of them are. But but you need to be careful of that possibility. Um, the anyway, I can tell you for sure how it worked in my life, and I talk about this in the video, and I'll try to make this brief because of that. Um, it has become less prominent in the in what I talk about, and the reason I think and it hasn't become. I still often um, make decisions and do things related to the stuff that I know about the New World Order, and I still often engage people in a personal level and and uh, about various aspects of the New World Order that I think are important for them to know. Um, various reasons, whether that's health reasons or you know, various liberty reasons or things that are I'm passionate about, I still talk about. But I personally don't feel in terms of what I need to evangelize and spend my time on in terms of the work that I do that I think that one day I will I will be judged on in a sense of, you know, well done, good and faithful servant uh, at the so-called Bema Seat Judgment of Christ where we're judged according to our Christian works. And I don't think of it like this, but I'm just saying that's what, that's what, in, in a sense, that the stuff that I am doing right now and passionate about really has very little to do with the New World Order because I think that uh, the real passion that that um, the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart is that of the gospel, seeing people that are trapped in all kinds of false beliefs to uh, come out of those false beliefs and be set free and uh, to know Jesus. That's sort of where where I'm at with that and that of course can be done in, in the in a very new world order centered context <clears throat> though i have personally not made that as prominent as it used to be and that really wasn't a conscious decision it was just sort of like over the years that that's where i my heart was and that could be an individual thing and so i don't want to put that on anybody else that's the way it should look in your life um, so yeah, and I'll also say about this whole thing with Romans 13, I know a lot of people have different opinions on it. For example, I know Chuck Missler says that, hey, this is submission to the government stuff. We don't need to do that because it's a submission to a, a king, <clears throat> and we don't have a king. We have a constitutional republic, and so our submission is really to uh, the rule of law and not to any particular person. And so he makes that strong case, and you know maybe that's that's got a point to that but i think that the heart of romans 13 and first peter 2 is to do good and don't be a reproach because you're doing evil and this is the main thing i want to say about romans 13 verse first 2 first uh, peter 2 is that is that the idea was for christians not to be jerks okay that's it that's romans 13 christians don't be jerks don't be people that are trying to start fights and, and 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 not pay taxes and whatever and they were those people in the early roman you know days they were the people that were that were just doing good you know it's funny i was listening to a, a really great podcast i really love the podcast it's called the history of rome it's like 200 episodes long it's i don't know 72 hours of content but i've listened to it twice i've really been interested in it but um but it's interesting that even he, he says, you know, at this time, you know, Christians, when they were getting persecuted at first, people were kind of weirded out by it because, you know, the Christians, they were just like, the main thing that they were doing was like feeding the poor, you know? It's like, these guys really aren't doing anything wrong. Why are we doing this to them, you know? My point is, the world is going to turn on you anyway. Uh, let them turn on you because you're feeding the poor, not because you're not paying taxes and, 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 and trying to, you know, overthrow governments. People are going to try to overthrow governments, but don't, you know, it doesn't have to throw your lot in with them. Uh, you can resist the government when it when it's necessary for you to do so, and it will become necessary for you to do so, just like it was necessary for uh, Peter and John to resist the government and instead preach the gospel. Right now, we don't have any laws prohibiting us to preach the gospel. Really, I mean, there's some stuff that you know could eventually go that way, but right now, hey, I mean, it's not it's not there yet. So, so anyway, long drawn out sort of speech on that. Maybe I'll have time for uh, enough, uh, some two more questions here. Let's go to question number two. Okay, question two is, what are your thoughts on hypnotism in general or hypnotherapy? Is it dangerous? Okay, this is me kind of shooting from the hip here. I'm, I'm just going to talk from my experience. I haven't done a lot of... Um, 
uh, research on this or anything. So don't consider this authoritative or anything by any stretch of the, of the imagination. I think that hypnotism at its very, very root level, that is getting somebody to just relax by saying stuff like, you know, uh, okay, relax your arm, now relax your whatever, and getting a person in a very relaxed state and then suggesting to them stuff probably could have some effect on one's subconscious. That probably is true. And it it may not be a cult or anything at that point. It just could be, it's probably not the best idea or the best way to change your your mind about something like that. But I don't know if it just the root of it is is bad in itself. But there is something about hypnotism that has the ability to be bad. And I'm talking about a cult in nature. Uh, this is especially true... You see this a lot, you know, uh, in the new age, these tapes that get you to do past life regression and things like that. And, and I think that it opens yourself up in that sort of relaxed, open state, especially the way that they present that in those kinds of cases to, oh, you know, listen for, you know, what your past life is. And you're open to, to suggestion demonically, I, I believe. But there's another aspect to it in regard to like stage hypnotism. Now, in stage hypnotism, I think that the ones that are really, really good at stage hypnotism are oftentimes Satanists. I think that there's a really good reason for that. I don't know what that reason is, but I imagine it's something like Satanists are like, I know what we could do with this. You know, of course, from a Satanist perspective, they are very open to, uh, uh, you know, letting demons possess them, letting demons talk to them, and demons are very obvious to, to a Satanist or a theistic type Satanist who. Uh, is is open to being possessed, they use those possession the, those demons to do stuff that amazes people uh, for the purposes of recruiting sometimes and all other kinds of stuff. But I, I think that my guess is that that's why they do a lot of the stage hypnotism and also to influence people. I have uh, had a experience with this. Somebody that I I know very 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 well uh, was at a stage hypnotist. Uh, presentation and he was one of like 10 people called up to the stage and he was also the only person left on the stage when he finally realized that everybody else had been weeded out and it was just him he did stuff that he just just swears he just doesn't know how it happened he, he wasn't he was convinced he wasn't going to do anything it wasn't at all he just really got manipulated by it um, and he felt really weird about it. Let's say it like that. Like it just wasn't good. It was the same kind of sensation that happened another time when um, I believe we were in a hotel room that there was a witch coven next door that had done some stuff, and he was, I believe, because of I don't know what the what the cause was or whatnot, how this worked, but uh, him and another individual were uh, influenced by that in a weird way they were both f at the same time forced to sort of sleepwalk and leave the hotel rooms it was weird and they both felt extremely uh negative about that to say the least let me jump in here and put an edit and just say I, I at the time i didn't really figure out that they were a witch coven until like a year later i tried to figure out what in the world i wasn't really that I'm savvy about any of this stuff or thoughtful about it at that time. But I was trying to do research. Like, what in the world would make two guys instantaneously uh, start sleepwalking and, and leave? I mean, keep in mind, these were two guys in two different hotel rooms side by side, leaving leaving the door open. One guy ends up sleepwalking down the, the highway. Uh, and anyway, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what, was, what happened at this hotel or full moon? But anyway, to make a long story short, I realized later on, being a little bit more savvy about what covens are like and some of the nature of covens, and then all the stuff that they were doing made a whole lot of sense later on. Uh, going into details if, if you want me to, but basically they they were a witch coven. So I assume that they did some kind of thing. We had some interaction with them earlier and, uh, uh, and, and before, you know, when we just saw them, you know, next, cause they were in the hotel room next to ours. So we had some interaction, said a few things to them, you know, small talk conversation or whatever. And so I assume that this is again, an assumption, but that 
they did something that caused those two guys to leave. And it was th those two guys, one of these guys and the other guy that I would say are most, were most vulnerable to, to something like that at that time. Um, and I don't know if that, if it was because of the hypnotism thing that the other guy was vulnerable of it, like if that actually caused the thing or if he was already, you know, had some open doors in that way or not. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's a little edit here. So anyway, the point is, is that I think there were open doors in that particular person's life at that time. And perhaps that was what made him vulnerable to whatever that was that this guy was doing in, in, in quote unquote hypnotherapy. That is to say, it could, could have nothing to do with hypnotism. It could have something to do with open doors in that context. And, and for that reason, it's dangerous if there is any of that going on. But as far as hypnotherapy, like going to a, a hypnotherapist to quit smoking, I know people have said it works. And it may just be as simple as, a, as influencing your subconscious to do something. I would just, I personally would stay away from it because I know that you can quit smoking without hypnotherapy, and that um, that it's it you know it's just not necessary. And I know it's hard. Don't get me wrong, but I I just don't know enough about it to say yay or nay on hyp hypnotherapy. I would just say I am extremely weary of that. Uh, even though I don't consider hypnotherapy the same thing as stage hypnotism, I do think that uh, that there is something that makes one vulnerable spiritually while doing something like that, if at the very least, if, if it's not something more sinister. Okay, moving on to the third question. This one comes from Kathleen, and she is asking about prophecy as proof. She is saying that we as Christians are told to use teachings on prophecies in the Bible as apologetics. And she mentions that sometimes skeptics will say that prophecies were put there later to make it look true. For example, a skeptic would say that in Isaiah's prophecy about Cyrus, uh, it did not actually precede uh, the historical Cyrus by 200 years, but was written later after the fact. And that the entire book of Daniel is considered by some to be an historical fiction written long after the time period which it is in which it is set. And she goes on to say, it goes on, it goes in the other direction when you're talking about the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus. They will just say that the followers of Jesus only said those things occurred to bolster their claim that he was Messiah, or that the prophecy is so vague anybody could try to make it fit. Okay, well, this is a good question. And what I'm going to do with this question is uh, give, you, give you a way to, to basically deal with all of them. Uh, and maybe touch on some of the specifics of of each of them. With let's take the the dating of Isaiah. Okay, so if you this this is usually called uh, historical or textual criticism or uh, critical scholarship and a lot of different names it has for this idea. And this is what gets a lot of people when they have never heard this kind of stuff, but then they go to seminary, and a lot of seminaries are, are basically teach this as truth. That is to say, Isaiah was written by two Isaiahs, and that it really wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't precede Cyrus and all these different things. A, a very early date for Isaiah. And, uh, of course, that, in one hand, uh, if you... If you like Jesus quotes from both of those sections of Isaiah and says in the same breath, the prophet Isaiah said. So if you if you believe Jesus, you don't have a, a trouble with the authorship of Isaiah. But if you're like me, you'd also like to know that it's true, too. I mean, I would like this, you know, to all be true. Right. So here's what I would say about not just this, but Daniel as well, is that you don't have to be afraid of a scholar. And what I think gets people in seminaries right off is because here they've got authority figures, uh, professors, people that are ostensibly much smarter than them, telling them, look, it's been proven. Look at all these papers. Isaiah is, you know, obviously not written at that time, you know, whatever. And they've got all these papers and stuff like that. So you kind of just... It, you know, it's this authority figure saying that, and you're like, okay, well, there's no reason to challenge that. I guess I'll, and they'll come up with some kind of theology like, you know, it's not all true, but I'll believe it anyway. And that is that is an unnecessary thing to do. And this is what I would say, very, very, very important to remember this. For every critical scholar, which you've got to remember, a critical scholar, let me say what I'm going to say first. For every critical scholar, there is a, a conservative scholar that completely destroys that critical scholar 
Um, and in there's essentially two sides to every story. And if you only listen to one side, and this is important though, if when you're dealing with scholarship, very important to realize this. When you're dealing with this kind of stuff, somebody that is a, a PhD writing a, a, a scathing thing about the Bible, you need to hear it from another PhD, generally speaking. So PhD usually trumps pastor. Eh, that's not necessarily true because a pastor can can you know uh, can. I'm certainly not a PhD, but I could show you why these uh, PhDs are wrong and make you understand it and be like, oh yeah, that's completely ridiculous. Why is that even? Why do they even do that? Um, so so yeah, but generally speaking, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that they're real smart and. So when a really smart person tells you something, it has this air of believability. It's like, but it's like the Bible says the first person to present his case seems right until the person cross-examines him. And so the best person to cross-examine a scholar is somebody that's approaching that on a scholarly level. So, so what I'm saying is that you can go through a verse-by-verse study in a popular level that's intended for somebody, pastor said at a church about the book of Isaiah, and he's not really going to get that deep into the specifics that a scholar would bring up about the questioning of the authorship of Isaiah or whatnot. Um, so, so, but here's what I'm saying. You don't need to be afraid of them. And the reason is because when you really understand like the critical scholarship about the book of John or the, you know, there's a lot of stuff like this, the book of John, the book of Daniel, the book of Isaiah, then you're like, Really? That's like your argument? That's insane. It's 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 almost that bad. I'll talk a little bit about it in a minute. But um, what was going to be my point there? Let me see if I can. Oh yeah, the point is is that you got to realize that a critical scholar starts off coming from this from a perspective. That there's a lot of non-believers in this the. the the seminaries and scholarly levels. I mean, that's they're openly ag- like Bart Ehrman is a New Testament scholar who is not a Christian. Okay, there's a lot of people like that that they come to this believing the, the following: there's no way that there is anything such as prophecy. If you believed coming into school, you, you know there wasn't anything such as prophecy. Okay, there the Bible does not predict prophecy. Okay, I happen to know that based on blank. Okay, that's what they come into this believing that there is no real thing as such as prophecy. So when they do scholarship, when they're going through school, they are looking for, okay, well, how do we, you know, what what's actually happening here? Well, we know prophecy doesn't exist. So so what is this Daniel thing? Or what is this Isaiah thing? Because if prophecy, because their worldview, then it's it's something deeper in their worldview that would have, you know, that is bowing a knee to, to, the authorship of the Bible, if they actually admitted, okay, yeah, he did mention Cyrus's name 200 years before, that requires a change of not just my intellectual stance, but it's something deeper than an intellectual stance in that situation. Because if that's true, then the Bible's true, and then that's a problem for me on a, on a spiritual level. So, so anyway, my point is, they're find, they'll find anything that they can. But when you look at the reasons that they say, for example, with Isaiah, it's it's... It's crazy. Okay, so for example, Isaiah, the main argument is that the style, and you'll get this with the people that say John wasn't written by John, or Peter wasn't written by Peter, or all these people. The idea is almost entirely about this. The style is different in one area than another. The the style, and they'll, they'll have these grand papers with footnotes everywhere about the reason that they believe that this is a different style than that style over there. And he uses this many words here, but he doesn't use that many words in, of that particular word over here. So clearly, it's not the same dude. And you're like, okay. If, even if uh, that you could do that with like my writing or somebody else's writing, if I don't use the same words consistently, then it's not me that wrote it. Then that's, that's already a sort of a difficult thing. But you also have to take into account several issues. And I just can't even fathom especially in the New Testament, when they do this with the book of John and stuff like that, why they don't put out papers talking about amanuensis. Like, why are we not taking into account amanuensis is, is a person that is clearly, obviously spoken of as being used in the Bible, like John Mark and and uh, and so on. People that are writing the, the, the Greek uh, for the person that is, uh, you know, speaking it. So, for example... Um, 
Paul often uses an amanuensis. That's why he says sometimes, I'm signing this with my own hand so you know it's me, which implies he didn't write the first part, you know, um, that he had a hired professional scribe, if you will. Um, basically, let's call it amanuensis a scribe, that the, 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 the prophet or writer themselves didn't actually write it. And so you can have a different amanuensis and therefore a slightly different way to express the Greek. Because, I mean, they're talking subtleties when they're saying, oh, it's not the same dude because of this very subtle change. Then then that can easily be explained by those kinds of issues. Elijah the, the had a school of prophets, okay? I mean, and so if, if he had people recording and writing the scriptures and scribes there, I mean, that explains a great deal of stuff. <laughs> anyway, the to hear a conservative scholar talk about things like the authorship of John or the authorship of Daniel and stuff like that, that's mostly what it is. Um, now, you have, here's here's the overarching thing with all this stuff that I'd like to get across to you, that the Bible is really actually for real true, and that if you want to, you can dig and dig and dig and try to find the truth, not just what the truth that you hope is true or the truth that... Uh, or, or whatever else, but you can look at both sides and you can read the papers about why people say Daniel wasn't written by Daniel and was written much later. And you can read the papers on the other side and you can study history as best as you can and it's going to be good for you. Uh, it's going to be good for conservative scholarship. I am completely convinced of that. I mean, I've never had to even sort of change my worldview that the Bible is really true and says what it means it, and and that you can challenge it and it really continues to be true. So in the case of like Daniel, for example, we can find historical evidences. You know, there's always some way to test whether or not what they're saying is true. You know, in this case, history is a good way to do that. Or, you know, we can look at the text and we can look at history. For example, in this case, one way that you could prove that the the so-called critical scholars are, are right is, or wrong rather, is the dating of, of the first known copy that we have of Daniel is in the Septuagint. Okay, and we know basically when the Septuagint was circulated and put into practice, or, or you know, was widely circulated, and so because of that, it's very difficult because the because that means that Daniel was in black and white before these events, such as the Maccabees re rebellion and everything, happened. Now, it's if you read because of course it's not that cut and dry. Of course, a scholar, a critical scholar, can never just be proven wrong like that so they try their best to to say oh well yeah okay daniel was in in the septuagint but the best that they can do is like we're talking a few like a decade or more difference like okay so so what you're telling me and i would su submit that you can without question say that, that daniel was in place in black and white before the events happened but if you listen to a critical scholar now dealing with this evidence that okay daniel was in the septuagint and the septuagint was very very early and happened you know if you listen to that and you listen to their response to that they'll say okay okay but it was possible that it could be in just uh, just a in there maybe a decade like the like the 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 events happened maybe before that but like a decade before that and even if you took that wildly speculative idea, you could say, okay, um, that means that everybody in the Jewish world, when they decided to translate the Hebrew text into scripture or into, into Greek, okay, let's take all our Hebrew, let's gather up all the Hebrew texts and let's go ahead and print them into a Greek version. That They decided to, this brand new hot off the presses, Daniel, that claimed to be written during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, just shows up out of nowhere by a mystery author and they say, oh yeah, that's, let's put that on the same level as the book of Isaiah and the book of Genesis and stuff that obviously had been around for a thousand plus years before that. So, so they, they just, if, if you take the, if you take all that into account, it's almost insane to believe that the Jewish people just be like, oh yeah, this thing was written just yesterday and we think it has been written a thousand years ago. Uh, or whatever, however long it actually had been, you know, um, not quite that long. But you, my point is, is that they gave the same uh, weight to Daniel that they did to um, the other things that were in the Septuagint. And that makes no sense if, if you say, as a critical scholars can only hope that it was written 
that it was that the events happened just as the Septuagint was written. But I would submit that it's more likely that Daniel and this was in the Septuagint, which was way before the events that we can prove for sure that are in Daniel. Like, for example, Antiochus Epiphanes and that whole thing of the Maccabees Rebellion is pretty much agreed by everybody to be written about by Daniel. And so if that happened, if he is in black and white before those events happened, then yes, Daniel predicted some prophecy. And that's the thing they can't have. They can't have Daniel being predicted any prophecy. Not one, not a single one, because their worldview cannot account for prophecy. Because the people, unfortunately, doing the scholarship don't believe in anything. So you have to take that into account when you hear a scholar tell you what everybody knows about the Bible. Because you got to go listen to another scholar that has a really hard, very appropriate criticism for that scholar uh, that makes him look rather silly. But if, you're only, if your professor at a seminary is only telling... That's why I think if you're in seminary, you got to go to your critical... If you have a critical uh, scholar uh, as, a, as a professor, you need to ask him a question. Who's like the best scholar on the other side of this issue get him to give you a name for a guy that you can go read the other side of the story because as i as i said uh, as the bible says it says that a, a person seems right if you only hear him but after he's comp you know he's he's uh, cross-examined, and they're like, oh, well, well, now that guy actually makes the other guy look look and oftentimes you got to hear what that person says about that until you actually can make a, a informed decision. And so many things about the Bible are like that. And so with this issue, critical scholarship, I encourage everybody to not back down. The truth is on your side. Just keep looking uh, if, it, if this is something that bothers you. So to answer this question, Kathleen, I would say that you can still use prophecy as an apologetic. Uh, but if you have somebody... And I think this should be a part of our normal apologetics is that we should get into the details of this so that a person isn't swayed when they hear somebody that has a Ph.D. tell them, oh, that's not true. Did nobody ever tell you that Isaiah wasn't whatever? You need to start off with the heavy stuff, start off with the intellectual stuff. And I think that's the point of people like Mike Heiser and stuff like that is that in our in our churches and things, we need to be a little more um, uh, open about the other sides in the critical scholarship because you're because if you go to a church you're never going to hear that this stuff exists and so when you go to seminary or, or you have somebody that uh you, you know has studied up on this they can challenge them and it scares them because they've never heard that this stuff exists and they don't know that hey just just keep you know this is this is wrong too and there's a really good criticism for it but you need to you need to dig a little deeper and think a little harder about it in order to to prove it wrong too Okay, so I think that is the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for me, again, you can go to my website, nowheretorunradio.com, or BibleProphecyTalk.com, where I have squeezed all the Bible teaching and prophecy stuff into one site. That's BibleProphecyTalk.com. And uh, I will talk to you next Friday. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to NowhereToRunRadio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.